the states or abroad, no one's safe from the talk is a fraud. In the states or abroad, no one's safe from the talk is a fraud. The following goes beyond the show and beyond the gram to bring you all the fraud that's fit to be uncovered. This is the Fraudcast, and now here's your Fraudcaster and the woman behind Frauded by TLC on Instagram, Katrina. And I am a grateful alcoholic. Hi and welcome. Don't check the dates. It's not Tuesday. It's not Wednesday. You're not mistaken. You're not missing an episode of the Fraudcast. This is a special bonus episode where I'm not going to be talking about 90 Day. I'm going to be talking about me and my alcoholism story and my, more importantly, my recovery story. So as we've done this podcast, as I've done the Frauded Night Lives and my feedback that I've gotten has been, there's been a lot of people that have been asking me about my sobriety and we talk about it in DMs and we talk about it a little bit on sometimes on the Friday Night Lives, but enough people have been asking me that we thought it might be a good idea to put out a bonus episode of me sharing my story with you guys so that for those of you who haven't heard it, for those of you who want to hear it. Uh, we're going to talk about it, and it's going to be out there, and I hope that it helps somebody. So I grabbed Hetero Life Mate, and we talked about it, and we said, hey, let's, you know, let's do an extra episode. Here we are, and we're going to flip the script a little bit on this. I'm going to be telling my story, but he's also going to be asking me some questions. So it's like a, the interviewer becomes the interviewee. Yeah, that that's how we're going to handle it. So, um, And I think it's great that you're doing this, too. You know, you, you and I have discussed this. Uh, a lot about you just think you know toying with the idea of doing a bonus episode will anybody care will anybody want to hear my story maybe someone will maybe someone won't you know for your for the regulars who maybe don't care just skip this episode no big deal there'll be another episode out on uh, tuesday night uh that's more sort of uh the typical broadcast uh so that'll be there for you but for this one this is for anybody who may need it so um, we're happy to happy to uh, help out anybody. And I know, uh, you know, before we get started, um, you would say that I am not part of your tribe. Correct. You would be what we call a normie. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. I'm hetero life mate, and I am not an alcoholic. Um, so, but uh, and that's made sort of that's made things interesting here. Well, it's kind of funny too because I remember we went to a party hosted and thrown by people that I know from the rooms of AA. Right. And it was a Christmas party, and 90% of the people there were people from the rooms, as we call it. and Alcoholics, for yes. those of you who don't know what that means. <laughs> so uh, people, I was introducing Hedo Life Mate to people, and they would ask him if he was one of us. So he would, they would ask him, Oh, are you an alcoholic too? Are you in the program? Yeah. That type of thing. And, and, and it was, you know, funny as, you know, has anybody ever asked you if you're an alcoholic that many times in an evening? Nope. Never had that. Not even my college days. Um, (laughs) So, um, so when you and I met, and I guess that, that would be a good place to start. When you and I met, you were out of rehab for like five minutes. Yeah, I, not okay. So not recommended, <laughs> but I had been out of rehab for about five minutes. Right, right. And so you and I, we we kind of joke about how uh, the person you were prior to rehab was Katrina 1.0. Mm-hmm. 
and and you know since then we've had Katrina 2.0, Katrina 2.5, <laughs> Katrina 2.75, Katrina 3.0, and so on, et cetera, et cetera. We're now so, on Katrina 4.0 since I am now in my fourth year of sobriety. Yeah, yeah, we're waiting for more security updates and patches. Hopefully we'll get it fixed eventually. <laughs> but anyway. But I guess I'm in my fifth year. I've celebrated four years already, so yeah. I'm in my fifth year. You need some Windows updates. I guess so. Um, <laughs> you need a lot of updates. So when I first met you, you know, I had a lot of questions because, uh, you know, you and I, we met on uh, a a dating app and you had mentioned sort of casually on your profile that you didn't drink. Correct. You didn't say why you didn't drink. Right. I just had it in my profile. And and so dating and sobriety is a whole separate like topic that we can talk about. But the way I approached it on this dating side is I had put in there, I wanted to put it out there that I didn't drink because I had gone through the experience of dating online when I was an active alcoholic and it's different because you're always like looking for, you know, let's go out for drinks and this and that. And I wanted it to be clear from the get go that I didn't drink. So I just put at the end of my profile and I don't drink alcohol if that matters to you. Right. And I think, uh, it eventually came up you and I talking and you said, uh, I think there was something that you had, I asked you if you wanted to do something and you had a meeting to go to. You said, well, I can't have a meeting. And I'm like, oh, okay. And then you eventually said of the anonymous type. And then I figured it out. (laughs) I put two and two together. So, and then that's how we sort of figured it out, you and I, but let's go before that. You know, we let the cat out of the bag that you did spend some time in rehab. Mm -hmm. Um, I know the story. I know how you wound up there. Uh, Why don't you talk to us about what a, how important, I guess you could say, your coworker, I don't know if you want to say his name, but your coworker, your ex-husband, and your parents were, and mm. what a big role they played in getting you to rehab. Oh, and my best friend. Yes. Yes. Well, you know, I think in order to get to rehab, I think I have to go back further and, and explain how I got to that point in my life. Um, you know, I I didn't really start drinking until I was about 17. Um Sort of towards the end of my high school days, but mostly in college. I went to college at 17. Uh, I grew up in a sort of middle-class household, kind of like in a a neighborhood that was really, really uh, well-to-do. So I kind of didn't fit in. I grew up not fitting in. And I felt from the beginning growing up that I didn't fit in anywhere, Uh, whether it was my house, whether it was you know, at school because we didn't have the kind of money that the other people there had because I was very socially awkward. I didn't have the manual to life as it were. And so I I sort of grew up not feeling um, comfortable in my own skin and not feeling comfortable around other people. And as part of that, I also grew up feeling like I didn't matter to other people. Uh, that I didn't have value and that I wasn't important. And so as I grew up and, you know, I, you know, made it through elementary school and middle school and, you know, into high school and I'd survived a lot of bullying, what we would classify as bullying these days and uh, became a stronger person for it. Although I'd rather have not gone through that, but you know, it is what it is, right? A lot of kids go through that these days. And so then I get into high school and I sort of start trying to find my, 
my groove, as it were, and feel comfortable in who I am and try to be, start being confident in who I was. And it started to come around for me. You know, I, I started cheerleading and I was in drama and I was in student government and I was doing things that I felt good about and had some genuine friends, but I still didn't feel like I belonged. Like I still felt like I was missing out on something. I was missing something. The, the whatever it was that made me understand other people and figure out how to fit in with other people. So I graduated from high school and I went to college. I was 17 when I went to college and I uh, went to San Diego State, SDSU, still drunk, still undergrad. Go Aztecs. <laughs> um, which was a party school. and uh, They're all party schools. <laughs> well, this is my own experience. So, you know. <laughs> okay, I'll shut up then. <laughs> no. no. So, so I really took advantage of that label, the school being a party school. I, I, I played into it and, and used that as an excuse, which I, I discovered as a crutch that I would go on later to use later in life that I would use lots of various things as crutches, as excuses to drink the way that I wanted to drink. So in, in college, I learned that if I drank a lot, other people liked me, or at least I felt like they liked me, whether they did or didn't, it didn't matter to me because at least I felt like I fit in. So I started drinking a lot and I didn't, know how else to drink other than drinking as much as I could, as fast as I could to get as drunk as I could. It's the only way I knew how to drink. That's how I learned how to drink. And that's the only way I knew. And that didn't stop until I went to rehab, essentially, at age 41. So it's <laughs> a long time to be drinking that way. It's cute when you're a 17-year-old co-ed at a frat party. Not so cute when you're a 40-year-old mom of a 10-year-old. Right. Right, and I've heard, you know, countless times about how, you know, speaking of your son, you know, you still feel guilty about that, and we'll we'll get to that a little bit later. But, uh, you know, that that took you through college and mm -hmm. into you know law school and into adulthood. Right. Yeah. And it just kept getting worse. Uh, right. So, you know, I going through, you know, I was in college and and. Then I got married mm -hmm. because I figured that would fix me. You know, <laughs> that proved that somebody loved me and I was valuable to somebody else. You know, it didn't matter that we were completely incompatible and we should never have gotten married. We're complete opposites. He's a, there's nothing wrong with him. He's a perfectly, you know, fine human being. I have no ill will towards him. But uh, I didn't know who I was. And, he, you know, he was young, too. And... I got married because, you know, it seemed like the thing to do because it, it proved that I had some kind of value. Uh, and that didn't, that marriage, needless to say, didn't last very long. Say, how'd that turn out for you? <laughs> that marriage lasted about 10 months. Yeah. <laughs> and then um, I went on to be a really big, I started law school and then I started my next phase of partying. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, I'd just gotten divorced and I was in this, oh, I'm newly single again and I'm going to go wild and crazy, which for somebody who's an alcoholic who's already drinking that way, like going even more crazy is like you just go off the deep end. It's not a pretty sight. <laughs> and law school is not hard enough as it is. Let's just make it more difficult by adding booze to the equation. Right. Well, I didn't finish that law school. Right. That round of law school. I ended up having to go back later. Exactly. <laughs> to get the degree. Uh 
so, you know, just it carried me through, you know, and I was working full time. I was going to school part time. I was working as a police dispatcher around lots of cops who like to drink when they got off work. Um, I knew all the cops in town. So, you know, that wasn't really a problem for me. I didn't have any of the consequences that might befall somebody who's drinking all the time and drinking the way that I was. And at that point, it was still cute, I think. You know, it probably wasn't, but in my head, I thought it was. And, um, you know, just being this wild and crazy, you know, that was my personality. I was going to be that girl, you know. And then uh, I met my second husband, Baby Daddy, as you guys know him as. (laughs) (laughs) And I thought, that will fix me for sure this time. (laughs) This time it's going to work. I know it. It's going to work for sure. So... We get married pretty early in our relationship, and uh, he was in the military, so I started moving around almost immediately. So being married to the military, I had those geographics built in that we talk, we talk about in in uh, the rooms of AA and the program and stuff that, that we like to, as alcoholics, we like to, to move around and reinvent ourselves. Because we're, we don't realize that we're the problem. It's always this place. Once I move, once It'll I be go all to... better. Yeah. It's, you got to get around, away from the people I hang out with. Got to get out of my circle and get a new group of friends. Right. If I get a new job, things will be better. Yep. If I get a new house, things will be better. If I get a new city, things will be better. And so as being married to the military, I had all of that built in. So... It took a while before I realized that I, that wasn't the problem, that the problem kept following me around because the problem was me and inside of me. So we were married for 11, 12, 13 years, something like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, we had baby frauded almost immediately. And, uh, in fact, we had eloped so I could move to Korea, South Korea, with him. And then we came back to the United States and had a big wedding ceremony. Uh, Surprise, for those of you who didn't know that. We were already married in San Diego, the San Diego wedding. Um, I was actually pregnant during that (laughs) wedding. So we were, uh, yeah, very early on, baby fraud had came into our lives. And so we were, we had been in a long-distance relationship Suddenly, we're living together, and he's got a really demanding job where he's working 16, 18-hour days, six, six, seven days a week. I'm at home with a newborn. It wasn't the greatest start to to anything. And <laughs> So, so how, that sounds like a very stressful uh, situation. How did you cope with it? How did I cope with it? I uh, coped by drinking alcohol. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, what, were your, what were your drinks of choice? At that time or at just in time. general? At, at that, that time? time Probably beer, mostly. So okay, so a bottle of beer in one hand and uh, a burp cloth in the other. Probably, okay. yeah. You know, I'd put the kid down and then I would drink. Okay. You know, you know. Um, and I didn't drink while I was pregnant, and I didn't drink while I was breastfeeding, and and wasn't so. You know, it was. I, he kept me really busy at the beginning. So when he was a newborn, it wasn't really the drinking wasn't really a problem. I think okay. it became later when. When I wasn't so focused on being a new mom, right. when he started to become a little bit older, and then I was had to focus on the fact that I had this marriage that maybe wasn't the best going back that far. Okay. Um, and I had to face a lot of that stuff, and I had to face myself. I wasn't so occupied with being a new mother. I always found it interesting that, you know, knowing you and knowing your story, 
that you were able to quit drinking while you were pregnant. Well, what do you think it was about the pregnancy that made you able to just snap your finger and stop? Well, I think at that point, my drinking hadn't crossed that invisible line yet. Okay. Where, you know, if I think in the life of every alcoholic, you cross an invisible line at some point, And it's only well after you've crossed it that you look back and see that you've crossed it. But it's the point of no return. Right. Alcoholism is a progressive disease that only gets worse, especially in women. And it progresses very quickly towards like as the older you get. So I think at that point it hadn't progressed to the point where I was unable to stop it. Okay, that makes sense. You know, it wasn't a problem then. You know, I hadn't I hadn't crossed that point of no return yet. Right. So it wasn't an issue. It wasn't an issue for me at all to not drink during my pregnancy and during, you know, the first year of his, you know, I still drank, but not the way that I would go on to later drink more. But, um, you know, the first year of his life and whatnot, I was still, I was still very occupied with being a new mother. Right. So that kept me from having to look at myself and to be with myself because I was with him. So then that new mother smell sort of subsides, mm-hmm. uh, new baby smells subsides. <laughs> um, you, uh, you eventually, you guys moved to Virginia. Yeah. And the drinking starts to pick up. Mm-hmm. Well, shortly after we moved to Virginia is, uh, we had finally decided to call it quits on our marriage. Uh, and this is after we've moved a bunch of times. He was deployed. After he was deployed, we moved to to uh, Hawaii for a couple of years. We came back. Um, so we'd been moving around. We'd moved up and down the eastern seaboard all over the place. And, uh, you know, like, again, we spent three years in Hawaii. We came back. About six months after we came back here is when we decided, okay, the marriage is over. All right. So at that point, I was drinking. And at this point, I'd already graduated from law school. I'd gone back to law school. And graduated Mm -hmm. and done it all. And I was working. So I was working at this point. And um, then, oh, so so if you, I was, if prior to our divorce, I was going like down a hill the way my drinking was, the point of uh, we decided to, to divorce you could describe me as like going off of a cliff okay. at that point, going downhill and then just falling off of a cliff. And I think a big life change like that, probably a pretty common theme among your type. It can be. Yeah. I mean, it can't, it certainly can be. I mean, one thing about your type meaning alcohol, <laughs> one <you> thing, people, <laughs> one thing that I've learned is that none of us have the same set of circumstances. Oh, right. Sure. Um, and I'll talk about that in a minute, but, um, so, after that, so we split up, and then I went into what I would call my two-year death spiral. And it sounds very dramatic, but it there's really no other way to describe that period of my life. And, you know, I was I was drinking it, you know, very, very excessively. And, you know, I, I was a part-time single mother. You know, I had my kid every other week. And so the weeks that I didn't have him, you know, I'd come home from work and start drinking. Now, let's talk how much. You say very, very excessively. Now, to me, (laughs) that's like, gosh, what do you have, like a six-pack a night? (laughs) At that point, my drink of choice was wine, and I would drink at least a bottle of wine a night. Okay. By yourself. By myself. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, so, so that was, yeah, every night. And then on the weekends, you know, Friday I'd get off work and I would start drinking and I would drink through the weekend until Sunday night until I had to go back to work on Monday. And that was my life, you know? Um, were you drinking at work? No, no, I was, I I was, I was, (laughs) I prided myself, you know, that was one of the things that I was said, you know, that, that helped me feel normal Mm -hmm. that, well, I don't drink at work. So I'm, of course I'm not an alcoholic. Right. Cause that's what alcoholics do not. Right. Just I had this, this image in my head or this, the stereotype of what an alcoholic was and, and whatever it was, I wasn't it. Don Draper. (laughs) <laughs> it's, it's a bottle of scotch in your uh, desk drawer at work that you open up when no one's around. Looking. Uh, but, you know, at, at that point, um, you know, I wasn't doing very well at work. You know, I was working, um, but I wasn't a great at, at my job. <laughs> yeah. um, how could I be, you know, when I, you know, just I wasn't focused on my work and I was I was so into numbing out anything that I was feeling. I couldn't mm-hmm. even tell you what I was feeling anymore at this point because I was all I was doing was numbing it out. I had this I had this hole in my soul that had been growing since I was young and I just kept pouring alcohol into it, trying to fill it up. And all that alcohol did was eat away at it and make it bigger and bigger. So in this two year death spiral, you know, I um I really, really lost myself. At that point, I was just, I wasn't even going out anymore. I wasn't going out to the bars. I wasn't going out and doing those things. I was, I'd come home from work and I would stay home and drink, you know. And then the weeks that I had my kid, I would, um, you know, I would do what I needed to do with him. But I would plan our day so that, like, we could be home by noon on Saturday so I could start drinking, you know. And here, watch TV or whatever, you know. Um, Here's a new Xbox game. Here's, yeah. Right, right. Um, you know, um, it it wouldn't have been uncommon for me to be buzzed at one of his soccer games on a Saturday morning. Yeah. Um, and, in fact, I remember the first time going to a soccer game sober. <laughs> and, and it was... Um, you know, it was interesting, you know, it was, it was like a, whoa moment, you know, this is, this is who I am now. So, so that two year death spiral, my world got very, very small and it was just me. And I, I didn't have any real friends to speak of. I hadn't really developed a lot of friendships during my marriage because I was always moving around. It was always a great excuse not to, to connect with people. Uh, really easy for me not to connect that way and have an excuse to do so. And then, uh, then I wouldn't have any, you know, any, I wouldn't have to feel bad that I was home drinking alone because I didn't have friends that I was avoiding to do it. Does that make sense? Sure. Okay. So at some point, the end of that two year death spiral, I had this sort of what we would call like maybe a God moment, sort of a God shot is that like, I had this moment of clarity where I was sitting there and I was kind of in and out of a blackout, um, sitting on my couch and it sort of dawned on me that I was sick and tired of this, that I didn't want this anymore. Mm -hmm. And, and there's really not, I can't really explain what it was that gave me that moment of clarity. And I was just sitting there alone drinking a bottle of wine, probably my second bottle of wine by that point, 
and something in me started Googling like those 1-800 numbers that you see on TV. And so uh, somehow I ended up... 1-800 number for rehab places. Yes. Yes. Like that you see on late night TV or whatever, but it was on my computer. And so somehow I ended up on the phone with a rehab in California. Okay. Um, I then... They they basically said they would take me. Mm-hmm. Um, I could be on a plane in two days. Uh, so I picked up the phone and I called my mom and I told her and she said, anything we can do to help? Uh, and then I called my work colleague uh, to help me with the paperwork that I would need at work to, right. to be um, – to go to rehab for however long I needed to go. And he immediately sprung into action. And I called my my best friend who at the time was living overseas, but she immediately sprung into action too about helping, you know, keeping my affairs at home, you know, paying my bills for me and all this stuff. So I wouldn't have to worry about any of these things. Um, And it was sort of, you know, surprising to me. I didn't realize sort of people that cared about me in that way. Right. But it was at that point, it didn't really register. Mm Mm-hmm. So two days later, I was on a plane. The first time I was trying to get on the plane, they wouldn't let me on because I was too drunk. Shocker. <laughs> Ironic. Because, <laughs> you know, when you get to the airport three hours before your flight takes off and you're drinking and you've been drinking for days, like, you're too drunk to make it on the airplane. So they rebooked me the next day. The next morning, uh, my ex-husband came, comes and picks me up at, the, at my house at like four in the morning, takes me to the airport. And I get on a plane and I make it to California and uh, I go to detox, which is the first stop of this program that I was in. And I get there and I blow a point four zero, not a point oh four, but a point four zero. You're very proud of that point four zero. <laughs> well, when your blood alcohol content is higher than your law school GPA. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, I say that because that's dead for most people. Yeah. And for me, I'm just walking around like I'm buzzed on a Tuesday. Right. You know, that's at that point in my life, that's where I was. And and I think that it's important to, to point out that that is what's possible for people. <laughs> um, so I was in detox for a week and then uh, where they do medical detox mm-hmm. because it's actually it's actually it can kill you to detox from to withdraw go into withdrawal from alcohol or benzos and benzos being like xanax or valium one of those kinds of things withdrawing from those can actually kill you like withdrawing from crack and heroin those things are miserable so i understand i i haven't experienced it but from what i understand it's completely miserable but it's not deadly but withdrawing from alcohol or benzos can actually kill you. It can send you into seizures, and it can actually kill you. And people wow. do can and do die from that, which is something that I didn't know until I was doing all the medical questionnaires for uh, for rehab. So, so they do this medically supervised detox to slowly detox you off of it so that you're it's done safely. And then I went to rehab where I did a program in L.A. that was a very heavy twelve step based. And I did that for two months. So I spent 60 days in rehab in L.A. And then, uh, so then you graduated, you got your certificate, and you're no longer an alcoholic, right? <laughs> right, that's no, how it works. That's how it works? Yeah, no. No, so then you came home, and then it's, it's uh, okay, now how do I function as a normal human being? Right. But also as an alcoholic. Right. Not drinking. Right. Because you basically had to relearn 
how to live life mm-hmm. without booze in it. Right. Because I'd been drinking since I was 17. That yeah. was my only coping mechanism. It was the only yeah. thing I knew how to do. Right. So, and, and then that's kind of where I came into your life. Mm-hmm. Uh, because, you know, like I, I can think off the top of my head several times, several instances where several experiences you and I have had where you've said, you know, this is the first time I've ever I've done this without drinking. Like going to a bar and watching football on a Sunday. Mm-hmm. Or, um, you know, uh, going to, I don't know, a concert or, mm-hmm. you know, things like that. Right. Uh, all these experiences you and I have had together that you're like, I can't believe I'm drinking. <laughs> yeah. And we're doing this. Um, and you had to learn that. And, I did. And I can say, <clears throat> excuse me, without, you know, and again, I'm not an alcoholic. So what I know about alcoholism is from you. Because uh, I, to my knowledge, didn't know any alcoholics before I met you. To your knowledge. You to learned my knowledge. afterwards. I say that, to my knowledge. Um, I lost my train of thought there. Um, Teach me how to live life. No, no, oh. no. I, I was going to say, I know that, okay, living life as an alcoholic, how infinitely important those meetings and for you the Alcoholics Anonymous program has been right because that is I can tell from my perspective that's your lifeline like I can mm -hmm. tell when you haven't gone to a meeting in in a while (laughs) and I'll say to you Go, why don't you go find a meeting? Just, <laughs> just go. When's the last time you went to a meeting? Why don't it's you go true. find one? I can tell when, uh, now you've kind of gone through some sponsor changes lately, but mm-hmm. your original sponsor, mm-hmm. I could tell when it had been a long time since you had spoken to her. Mm-hmm. So why don't you give her a call? You know, <laughs> um, you know, I, I, these things are key. And, and if there's anyone listening to this who maybe thinks that they're at that point, where they're ready to ask for help. As a non-alcoholic, but I've been to enough of these meetings with you to see how huge of a help it is to have other people in your life who are going through the exact same thing. Right. And and, and what a what a fantastic crutch <laughs> it is for you guys. So so a little disclaimer um before I go on more with the rest of this is um I I, I realize that AA is not and twelve step is not for everybody. Right. It's um it's not the only way to get and stay sober. And you know, there's there's the AA tradition of keeping anonymity at the level of press, radio, and film. So in some ways I'm kind of bending that tradi- tradition by speaking about it. But in telling my story, it's important it's an important part of my sobriety recovery is that, you know, my, my rehab was, was, was 12 step based. And so when I got out of rehab, I didn't know what else to do, but I did what they taught me to do, which is go to meetings. And I got plugged into the meetings that are around here Mm -hmm. and uh, where we live. And I got plugged into an amazing group of women. And as you've said, they've been my lifeline. They taught me how to live life. And, and they taught me everything that I didn't know that I didn't know <laughs> about living life, if that right. makes sense. Right. Yeah. Um, it's not just about being sober, but it's about living life because it, you're, it, they say it's a simple program. All you have to change is everything. Right. So 
um, I got very plugged into this, and that has been instrumental in my recovery. And my work through the 12 steps has been very, very crucial to me understanding sort of the origins of a lot of things and, and my behaviors. And what I can say about sobriety also is is that getting sober for me was much more about much more than just putting the drink down. It was about it was as if like my life before was like an old 12 inch black and white static TV. And then getting sober, suddenly I have a, you know, 68-inch flat screen 4K in color TV. Yeah. That's what my life is, how different my life is now, and and in a good way. Um, My life has changed in such a dramatic way, but in a way that I can process and handle. (laughs) It's not like all of a sudden everything changed overnight. Things did change overnight, but it was also a slow process. And, you know, here it is. I I celebrated four years of recovery in October. October 17th, 2015 Mm -hmm. is my sobriety date. So I just recently celebrated four years sober, and I'm working on year five. And uh, I do have a sponsor. I have a new sponsor now uh, that I'm actually meeting with her on Wednesday. Um, I sponsor several women in the program that have been very instrumental to me um, in helping them through the program. But more importantly, the women in the program have been um, have become my best friends. And, oh, and I always hear, you know, with the whole sponsor sponsee relationship dynamic, I always hear uh, the sponsors saying that their sponsees, the people they're supposed to be helping are actually more helpful to them than they feel like they are to the yeah. people they're supposed to be helping, yeah. if that makes any sense. Yeah, and I don't want to get too far into the weeds about right. 12 steps, but right. but yeah, that's been one of the things. When I'm not as connected to my program, my sponsees still are, and they will call me and get me out of my shit. One of the things that happens to al- that are alcoholic, that's sort of a universal to alcoholics, not, not solely alcoholics, like we don't have a monopoly on this, but this... This this feeling of um, sort of self-importance and um, this sort of self-centered – it's a self-centered fear. Like we're scared of a lot of things, but it's a very self-centered fear. And so when something happens in the world or in my little world, I get very – I can. it's easy for me to get very tied up in how it affects me and my issues with it. Sure. And, and I don't necessarily think about how it affects you, you know, if if – I'm bitching and complaining because of how, you know, the shower door is being put back or the dresser drawers aren't being put back. These are real things that have yeah. happened in our lives. Oh, yeah. You know, I think about how it affects me. Mm-hmm. You know, like, why is he leaving the dresser drawers open and I have to wake up and deal with that? Like, that's obnoxious. Why is he doing that? Why doesn't he just close them? For the record, they were left open by, like, an inch or two. I'm not, like, leaving them fully open. Right. I'm not a crazy person. <laughs> but I was very caught up in how that affected me, right? And, and and what I didn't know until I talked to him about it because my sponsor's like, hey, why don't you talk to him about it? And I explained to him that it bothered me that the door- drawers were left open. He explained to me that he wasn't closing them all the way because he was trying to be quiet and not wake me up when he was getting dressed. So... You know, I was very caught up in my own little world. I was very self-centered about that issue. And uh, so 
when a sponsee calls me with their problems and I'm stuck in this world, this stuck up in my head, it gets me out of that place because it helps me realize that, you know, oh, there's other shit in the world. And it's, it's it, the world doesn't revolve around my issue with the dresser drawers. So that's getting too far into the weeds about stuff. But my life in sobriety has been uh, amazing in a way that is very difficult to um, convey. Uh, people around me who've known me before and after see the difference. Like, you didn't know me before. Um, you have seen me change throughout sobriety, but you didn't know me before I got sober. Uh baby frauded had he was mm -hmm. like 10 or 11 when i got sober so he has seen the difference in me uh he talks about how i over mom now because i'm making up for uh being sort of an absent mother and not being super involved and now i am very very involved i'm heavily involved in in you know i'm a drama booster i'm there all, you know the backstage mom all this stuff so sometimes he says i over mom but he wouldn't change it you know he wouldn't have me go back to the way it was before uh but I get to do that now. I get to be the mom at the school till midnight on a Saturday night, whereas before there's no way in hell I would be there because I couldn't be home drinking the way that I, that I wanted to be drinking. Right, right. And now I can be there and I can, you know, the kids are going to IHOP after the, the play. You know, I can pick them up and drive them mm -hmm. at one o'clock in the morning and have it not be an issue. I know that I can wake up the next day, and although I still like to sleep in, I know that I can wake up early <laughs> and and be somewhere and show up for people and go to that baby shower that's at, you know, noon or go to that friend's birthday party or whatever, you know, what have you. Um, you talked about being there with me through experiences. Sure. Uh, there's definitely a lot of things that I had to relearn how to do. Uh, but I felt that doing these things with you, there was, I would go places with you that I were places that I used to associate with drinking that I didn't want to go back to, that I was almost scared to go back to. But mm -hmm. if I went with you, I was safe. You know, like we went to Hooters one night yeah. <laughs> to have wings because it was right by an event that we were going to. And it was the first time I was going to be going to Hooters and not drinking, which is such a weird thing. But And the first time you weren't wearing orange shorts there either. Oh, too. shut really up. <laughs> I never worked at Hooters. Okay, sorry. I wish I did. I wanted to. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, going there with you, I was safe and I was able to as my therapist would say, rewrite the memories, yep. rewrite those uh, neural pathways in, in the brain that help me sort of reprogram my life and things that I used to be as like, Oh, how can I watch football without drinking? How, you know, how can I watch football without drinking? Whereas, you know, before that was like, Oh, I have to have drink in order to watch football. Now it was like that was I realized that that was just an excuse to drink. Football yeah. was an excuse to drink, whereas now I actually watch and enjoy it for the football. Mm -hmm. I realized this with a lot of things. You know, it was like, how was I going to take a bubble bath without having a glass of wine? Well, you know, now I enjoy it. You know, I don't have to worry about falling asleep and drowning. Um, how can I go and get sushi without drinking sake? You know, well, it turns out I can actually, you know, enjoy the sushi because yeah. <laughs> I'm not drunk. Um, a lot of these things that I was so used to doing, 
I realized later those were just excuses for drinking versus me enjoying them. And now I actually go to do these things to enjoy. I'm going to a football game, went to NFL football game with you mm-hmm. a couple of times, surrounded by 75,000 drunk Buffalo Bills fans. Go Bills. Bills. Mafia. <laughs> um, but yeah, I've really enjoyed myself. You know, despite the, all the drunk screaming fans around me, I, by that point, I was strong enough in my sobriety that that d- wasn't a trigger for me. Right. Uh, not that there still aren't triggers. You know, one of, going to a bar for like a happy hour with work is not one of them for me. I can do, I can do that. I've done it several times. I mean, going to a bar on a Friday night for happy hour is not my first choice of things to do on a Friday night. Mm-hmm. But I've done it for work events and, and other events and things, and it's fine. And I'm totally fine with it. I do still have triggers, and uh, I do my best to avoid them and to be on, on guard for them, I think. But they have lessened over time, I guess I would say. That makes sense? Yeah. Um, so. Yeah, I, I mean, I know that, like, <clears throat> when we first started dating – I was really, like, outwardly aware of situations I put you in because I didn't want to inadvertently put you in a position where you were faced with a bunch of triggers. Mm-hmm. So, like, you know, like, I remember one time we went out to eat at this place, at this restaurant, and the only seating they had was near the bar. And I was like, we'll wait, you know, um, the Italian restaurant that's not far from here. You don't remember that. You're thinking. Um, anyway, <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, or like, you know, we'd sit down at a restaurant and the waiter would bring the, the wine list. And I would make like a special effort to be like, no, we don't need that wine list. You take that right back <laughs> with you. You keep that away from this table. You know, like that type of thing. Um, I always felt sort of compelled to do that because I was like, I don't. And then even when I broke up with you for those six months. I broke up with you. Um I was afraid, honest to God, that you were going to go off on a drinking binge. Like, you know, how freaking... I remember the night that I was breaking up with you. I broke up with you, right? And you told me that, that you didn't want this to to send me off. And I was like, yeah, you're not that important. Yeah. (laughs) You're not enough to make, like, my sobriety is more important than you or something like that. And that's true, actually. My sobriety is more important than him. Yeah, good. I I would hope it is. Um, All right, so let me ask you this question. Okay people who may be listening to this who might be thinking, ah, yeah, I do drink a lot, but I don't think I drink as much as she did probably. I'm probably not an alcoholic. Mm-hmm. How do you know? How do you know? You know what? I probably do have a problem. Okay. Well, there's two two points I want to make on that. Okay. The actual word alcoholic, nobody can call you an alcoholic. You're the only one that can make that determination. Mm-hmm. But and more importantly than that, it doesn't matter. Whether that's what you want to call yourself, whether that's what I, I mean, I'm comfortable with the label because I know in my heart of hearts that that's what I am, but it, it, you don't have to be, you know, the question that you really want to ask yourself is, is your life better? Would your life be better if you didn't drink? Okay. And that's really the question. Is if the way that you're drinking and the reasons that you're drinking. And that could be the same said for any sort of drugs, alcohol, anything. Correct. Anything that you're using in a way that is not healthy. You know, one of the, the definitions of, you know, addiction or alcoholism or whatever is, you know, they talk about 
you do these things despite the consequences. Right. You know, and I, I, I didn't have the consequences like I didn't get a DUI yet. I didn't um, lose a house yet. I did lose a marriage, uh, <laughs> you know, um, but I didn't lose custody of my kid, you know, right. yet. And we always say yet because those are things that if I started drinking again, those are things that could very well possibly happen. Mm-hmm. They just hadn't happened to me yet. So I didn't have these big major consequences, but I certainly had consequences and I still drank despite that, you know, and would my life be better without alcohol? And the answer to that question is unquestionably, yes, my life is better without alcohol. So the question you don't want to, you don't want to ask yourself, are you an alcoholic or not? It's would your life look better if you didn't drink? I think that's, that's pretty key there. Yeah. And so... If someone is listening to this and they ask themselves that question and the answer is yes, what's something they can do today, tomorrow? Well, I always say you can reach out to me. Right. You know, that's that's always, always a line. You can reach out to me in any of the ways. If you're one of those um, that doesn't have access, you know, doesn't use social media or anything um, and you, you don't have a way to reach me, I would say um, call AA. I'll link the resources in my in my show notes probably. But um, you know, AA Intergroup has phone lines that are manned twenty four seven in almost every area. And you can I would always suggest is my suggestion no, is always to go to a meeting. Now whether or not you end up staying with that pro- program or not, that's not the point at this point. It's just to get you to go to somewhere where you can be around people who understand exactly what you're thinking and have been exactly where you are. Um, if you, if there's somebody you can call, call them. If there's, you know, if I would say reach out for help. And one of the reasons that I'm very public about this, and this is probably as public as I've been, um, telling this much of my story to somewhere that's not a room of AA right. is probably as public as I've been. Now, I came out on social media about this um, about a year ago, my third year, in my three-year anniversary of being sober. I came out on social media. And at that point, it was because I was comfortable enough with it. Uh, I wasn't comfortable before that because of the stigma that surrounds the term alcoholism and what might people think of me. And all of the negative associations with it. So when I decided that I was comfortable enough with who I was and who I had become because of it, you know, I opened the show with I'm a grateful alcoholic. And that's what I say in the rooms. And the reason for that is because I'm extraordinarily grateful for being an alcoholic because it's because of everything that I have been through and coming to this point in my life that I am who I am and I wouldn't change who I am now and my life now for the, for the world. And so I'm extraordinarily grateful for that. So I got to a point where I was comfortable talking about this in a more public manner and, and living in this day and age where there's so much of us on social media is that was the place that I decided to be public about it because you can be anonymous on social media. I can be out there and other people can see it without necessarily having to come to a meeting or reach out for help or these other things. And and they can see it and just know that somebody like me is an alcoholic and that there is a solution to it. You don't have to continue to drink that way anymore. You don't have to be that person anymore. You don't have to drink anymore. 
and you can change your life and you can become the person that you were meant to be and the person you really are inside. And you can, you can create this, this life for yourself that you actually, that you do want. And I, in, in sobriety, I've been able to create a life that I don't want to escape from. Uh-huh. And that's, that's really what's critical. And so I came out on social media to be an example of what a strong, sober woman could be. And women in my age bracket, I'm 45 now, and women in this age are one of the fastest rising groups of problem drinkers and alcoholics. And in part because... I mean, there's a lot of science and numbers and stuff behind it, but there's this like mommy wine culture, right? Where there's, oh, yeah. Where there's this like all over the place. mommy sippy cup and, you know, this you, a coffee cup that said there's probably vodka in here and all of this stuff that like you have to have alcohol to get through being a parent, right? Or if you're not a parent, even just like alcohol and yoga and, and all of these things, it's like that's so crammed down your throat that people feel like it so like that gave me permission to drink the way that I was drinking for so long right so I'm trying to sort of do my small part to show you that look I alcoholics aren't these like men in an overcoat drinking out of a paper bag under a bridge right like I am a strong successful a mother and I am a successful lawyer and I have an incredible relationship and I have an incredible stepdaughter that is all of these things that are in my life now because I'm sober and I want people to look at me and, and oh she's an alcoholic but not in a bad way you know I remember once baby stepfrauded said to her, told me, she told her friends that she wants to be an alcoholic like Katrina <laughs> because she didn't understand the connotation. She just knew that I didn't drink and she, you know. She thought, oh, people who don't drink are alcoholics. Right. She didn't, you know, we had to, you know, talk yeah. to her, explain it to her a little bit more and she understands more now. In fact, um, she was at my four-year celebration. Um, she, so she understands it now, you know, age appropriately of stuff that we've been able to explain to her. But, you know, in her eyes, an alcoholic wasn't a bad thing. And, and and it would be fantastic if the rest of the world saw the eyes, saw through the eyes of a 10-year-old girl. That it just means somebody who doesn't drink. And I mean, I, I think, you know, again, my experience and what I've seen, having gone to several meetings with you, <coughs> um... I kind of feel like, uh, from what I've seen, an alcoholic in recovery kind of has their shit together more than the average person. <laughs> Honest to God. I mean, <laughs> it, they really do. Because you guys are so, like, hyper-focused on self-wellness and self-care and mm-hmm. taking care of our friends and making sure everybody's good. And but guys, not to an unhealthy codependent level. We have to work on that, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. But, um you guys are all like that and and us non-alcoholics are all like you know survival of the fittest bitch you know (laughs) what am i always telling you what are we always saying in the house oh god i don't know which thing which thing it's always aaisms right which again i don't want to get too far into the weeds about this but keeping your side of the street clean oh right 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 you know if if, progress not perfection (laughs) uh which which one are we throwing out here um no keeping your side of the street clean is you know i've talked about it before and and i think that that's uh, uh, i focus on me 
and and what I've done and my role and mm-hmm. what did I do? Did I cause did I cause something a problem? You know, this is that self centeredness, right? But if I did something wrong, what was my role in creating the conflict? I look at myself and my part, and then I'll make an apology for it if it's warranted. Yeah. I try to keep my side of the street clean. I try not to worry about other people's side of the street. I'm not going to, like, go to everybody in my house and tell them how they're going to, you know, close the dresser drawers. Although he does close them now, so that's important. Yeah. Because <laughs> it was important to me. I just care less about waking her up in the middle of the night now when I'm looking for work. No, I'm just kidding. Um, so I think it's great that you've done this bonus episode. And, you know, I, there could be more episodes like this in the future. Um but I think I think it's really cool for you know for anyone out who may be listening that might find themselves in in the position where they're like, gosh, you know, yeah, it's one of those things. Or I've been meaning to think, look into that, or I've been meaning to think, you know, maybe maybe I wonder if they have any meetings in my area, that type of thing. Um, it's really easy to get those answers. You mentioned just do a quick Google search; you can mm-hmm. probably get the answer you want. Or if you have the means and you want to hear from someone who's been through it and is doing it, reach out to you. And mm-hmm. you can find Absolutely. it on uh, you know, Instagram at Frauded by TLC. Twitter at Twitter, Frauded Facebook, by TLC. You know, yeah. All that Facebook. stuff. So um, this has been interesting. And, you know, like we said at the beginning, not your typical broadcast. No, um, this is special bonus special content. Special bonus content. Bonus episode here. And... Uh, I don't know. Do you have anything else you wanted to add? I guess I guess I would want to close by by saying so. I mean, we have there's so many things that we could talk about dating and sobriety. We could talk about, you know, you what it's like, you know, to support somebody who's in recovery. You know, because that was one of your first questions to me is how you could best support me. Um, there's so much we could we could do, but the important thing that I think I want to leave you with is knowing that it doesn't have to be that way. You know, it, it, the way that you're feeling that, that hopeless feeling, that feeling that you you have this giant hole in your soul, that, that restless, irritable, that discontent feeling, that incomprehensible demoralization that you feel, you don't have to feel that way anymore. You don't have to drink that way anymore. You don't have to, there is another way and it's a beautiful, beautiful way and you're worth it. We don't believe that we're worth it, but I can guarantee that you are worth it. And you reach out to other people, reach out to me, and I guarantee that we will love you until you can learn to love yourself. All right. Well, that's, a, I think, a hell of a way to close out. So <laughs> uh, tune in next week on the for the latest edition of Katrina's Bullshit, where we talk about her inability to load dishes in the dishwasher. Um <laughs> Touche. I'm kidding. Um, True story. I can't. Anyway, thanks for doing this. I'm sure the people out there are going to appreciate it. So um, with that said, I guess uh, that's it. All right. All right. Well, next broadcast be available (laughs) Tuesday. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. Hey, fraudcasters. You know, I used to find bras to be so uncomfortable and constricting. They were the first thing to take off when I got home. But Skims has changed all that. You guys know I love my Skims Fits Everybody t-shirt bras. I own them in just about every shade now. I wear them every single day uh, when I leave the house. 
and they are completely worth the hype for the amazing shape and support they give. But what I was not expecting from them was how comfortable they are. Even the underwire bras that I wear all day, I barely even notice. Definitely not the first thing I take off when I come home anymore. Y'all, I'm a 36 double D and I've had a reduction and I've gone up and down and lost weight and gained weight and all the things. And the Fits Everybody t-shirt bra, I swear, fits me the best. I finally found a t-shirt bra that I can wear. But not only that, it is the best bra that I own. It holds the girls in so well. And let me just say, Hetero Life Mate really appreciates these bras too. Shop Skims Bras at skims.com, now available in 62 sizes from a 30A to a 46H. Plus, get free shipping on orders over $75. And if you haven't yet, please be sure to let them know that we sent you. After you place your order, select podcast in the survey and select our show, The Fraudcast, in the drop-down menu that follows.